Hello, and welcome to the Pages and Popcorn Podcast. The podcast where we, Jennifer and... Kalia. Two book nerds talk about movies based on books as well as the original source material. Two warnings. This podcast uses barnyard language. Why limit ourselves to only nice words? Some things warrant not-so-nice words. Also, spoiler warning. We will be talking about the endings of both book and movie, so prepare yourself. Okay. Let's get into it. It's the Pages of Popcorns Podcast. Special guest. will edify. It's the Pages of Popcorns Podcast. Special guest. Burn Kelly gonna talk, so you better damn well listen. Hello. Hello. Hello and welcome to this episode of Pages and Popcorn Podcast. This week, we will be talking about the novella Stories of Your Life, which was eventually made into the movie Arrival, and I'm very excited to do that. And I'm excited to have with me today, Chris Jarvis. Hi, Chris. Hey, Kalia. That voice you might recognize from his other appearances here on the show. All gay. All my other appearances were gay. (laughs) Okay, but... But you did. We did a gay nonfiction when we did, and the band played on, and oh, then yeah. we did happy gay romance with with Love Simon, and then we right. did sad gay romance. <laughs> oh, so we did shades of gay. Okay, <laughs> right. <laughs> sad romance with Brokeback Mountain, which was a short story, and now this is a short story that's not gay but is sci-fi. And then I guess at some point we'll probably do some other sci-fi. See, it's all, all right. connected. All right. Yeah, I yeah. love sci-fi. Yes. Yeah, I know. I know. I can see your background. Oh, yeah, there it is. <laughs> your man cave of, of sci-fi stuff. Okay, so but before we talk about Arrival and stories of your life, I want to just give a couple of quick announcements. Remember, you can find us on the website at kmmamedia.com. You can email us at pages and popcorn podcast at gmail.com. You can support us through Patreon or through a thing called Buy Me a Coffee. Those links you can also find on the website i'm on twitter also on instagram and on facebook so there's lots of different ways to get in touch with us and yeah pages and popcorn podcast is the way to do it real quick if you want to support the show but you're not interested in spending money or you don't have money to spare which is totally legit a like and a review on the place where you listen on the pod place that would be great especially apple Podcasts, because it helps the algorithm realized that we're a legit thing and then more people can hear us. And that's very exciting. So, oh, oh, and I'm on TikTok. So, Woo! yeah, <laughs> there's never been a bandwagon that hasn't completely gone around the bend before I jump on it. And this, <laughs> this one is no, no exception. So, yes, I am over on TikTok and the link is will be in our show notes on the website, etc. Uh, so I always give a little thing about this show. I give a little thing about ghost Apology when we have new episodes of that. I write a book review every week and I do a little mini version of my review, spoiler free. All my reviews are spoiler free on the TikTok as well. I had a glaucoma flare up and so... <laughs> This, this recording was a little bit later than normal and had to finish my reading the book that I was reading for my book review every week. 
And, and also because of our recording schedule had to read the next book and watch the next movie before Chris and I had a chance to sit down. And normally I would have just finished reading the book and had just watched the movie. And we're talking less than 48 hours from finishing and writing and all of that stuff to being here. And this time around, there's been multiple other books, multiple other movies. I don't know, probably a season and a half of Star Trek Voyager, a lot of being not feeling well and spending so time on the couch. she's not invested in this one, people. Let's no. just say it. <laughs> I'm invested, but I might be rusty is what I'm saying. So, but we're going to do our best tonight. And uh, here we go. <laughs> well, considering where we started before we decided to change the book and the movie, you know, then, you know. Yeah. Okay. So before Can we, we just even... talk about that for a second, because I would like to yes. warn people about that. Okay. Originally. Okay. Oh, okay. Let me just give you a little behind the curtain peek into how the creative process works over here. I think to myself, oh, so-and-so going to come. I want to have a book, want to have a movie. I bought a couple lists of books and movies, you know, that I know were, you know, connected, obviously. Oh, this movie I know is based on a book or I have this book on my shelf and it clearly says on it, now I'm a major motion picture or soon to be a major motion. And I think to myself, oh, great, great, great. So Chris and I were talking about sci-fi. He's super into sci-fi. And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I just done minority report, you know? So I had like this whole stack of other sci-fi books sitting over here. And um, one of the books that I had sitting over here says Total Recall and Piers Anthony. And I was like, Piers Anthony is like a pretty famous sci-fi writer. And Total Recall was an 80s movie. I'm pretty sure with Arnold Schwarzenegger. So there we go. And Chris is like, yeah, you'd seen the movie, right? So hundred times. Yeah. 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 Okay. But didn't know it was based on a book. And I was like, I, I know I saw the movie once. Don't really remember it. There was a woman with three breasts. I think Arnold Schwarzenegger and I'm pretty sure something with Mars, but I also saw running man around the same time. And that was also Ooh. Arnold Schwarzenegger in like a future, I don't know, whatever. So I was like, I I'm excited. I'm going to watch it, read it, you know, very cool. Then I was out of town and Chris, you started to read it and <laughs> share with the people what happened as you started. Uh, well, I know, you know, you're a very good friend of mine. I know how smart you are. So I'm, I'm looking at the book. First of all, it took me three times to get the book off the internet because it's not in print anymore. So the first two times I ordered it from Amazon and they sent me children's books, I don't, different children's books. I don't, they weren't even have the same title. I don't know how that happened. So I had to order it to, through Thrift Books, some website called Thrift Books, which was really efficient. And I got the book. Um, but I, when I first got it, it said based on uh, a screenplay or based on the major motion picture, one of those things. And I thought, okay, well, it's got to still be the a book before the movie, right? So I put it aside. Then I started reading it and I looked it up and it is literally written from the screenplay of the movie. So I thought, well, Kalia must know this. She's one of the smartest people I know. So she must want to do it. So I got like, I don't know, 50 pages in and I, I, I messaged Kaylee and I said, do you know that this book is not a real book that's written off the screenplay and it's horrible <laughs> on top of it? I mean, it's misogynist, it's sexist, it's just disgusting. I told her in the first five pages, there were five exclamation points, which right off the bat told me I'm in trouble. Not that the movie is any piece of cinema verite, it's not, it's just a trashy B science fiction movie, but my God, when she told me I could put it down and change, I was like, I threw it across the room. I'm like, I'm done. So, I mean, obviously we have this copy in the house and it's not mine. It must be Matthew's or something I stole from my ex-husband. I mean, there's some of those things around here still. And yeah. I, you know, and it said based on, and it, and it, and it has Piers Anthony. So I just assumed. And yeah, so that was on me for not doing my research ahead of time. 
So then I felt like a dumbass. So then I'm in Santa Cruz on my daughter's birthday trip with very little reception, trying to find lists of books that, you know, are good sci-fi books that were made into movies that we could do that I want to do that aren't Dune or, you know, or a bunch of other things. Is that where you were when I texted you about all this? Yeah. Oh my God. (laughs) So we're driving along and I'm like trying to get the internet to work and whatever. And on one of the lists that I was able to pull up briefly on Google, it referenced Arrival. And I was like, oh, that's right. Because I had actually seen this movie and read the novella that it was based on years ago. And so I said, what about Arrival? And you got very one excited. One of my favorite movies of all time. So I jumped on it. Yep. So there we go. So that is why we are doing Arrival today. Right. <laughs> spoiler for the end, but the movie is fucking awesome. But we'll talk about all of it in just a minute. Let me give my little, our little thing in case you don't know. Here it is. Story of Your Life is a science fiction novella by American writer Ted Ching, first published in Starlight 2 in 1998 and then in 2002 in his collection of short stories, which is called Stories of Your Life and Others. So Story of Your Life, Stories of Your Life, that's what it is. And let's see, it won a whole bunch of awards. The Nebula Award for Best Novella, it was also uh, nominated for a Hugo and it's been translated into a bunch of things. So great. So that was in 1998 and then in another collection in 2002. And then a film adaptation of the story is called Arrival. It was directed by Dennis Villanueva. Villanueva? Yeah, that was that's it. And it was released in 2016. So uh, in the not so distant past, but also a little ways from the publication of the book, which is always kind of nice. The movie stars Amy Adams, who you probably know from a zillion things, including something we did on this podcast not that terribly long ago. Oh, I know what you mean. The woman in the... The woman in the window. There you go. And also Jeremy Renner, who you would remember, he is Hawkeye in all the Marvel Avenger movies, and Forrest Whitaker, who has been in so many things. He's just super awesome. Um, And it was nominated for eight Academy Awards, including Best Picture, and it won the award for Best Sound. It should have won for Best Picture. Okay, here is our story recap. Story of Your Life is narrated by linguist Dr. Louise Banks the day her daughter is conceived. Addressed to her daughter, the story alternates between recounting the past the comings of the aliens, the deciphering of their language, and remembering the future, what will happen to her unborn daughter as she grows up, and the daughter's untimely death at age 25. The whole story is a flip-flop between random points in the daughter's life and the main alien story. That story, the story of the aliens, follows a linear track, even while the daughter's story does not, flipping back and forth in time. So that alien story, the aliens arrive in spaceships and enter Earth's orbit. 112 devices resembling large semicircular mirrors appear at sites around the globe. Dubbed looking glasses, they are audiovisual links to the aliens in orbit who are called heptopods for their seven-limbed radically symmetrical appearance. Louise and physicist Dr. Gary are recruited by the U.S. Army to communicate with the aliens and are assigned to one of nine looking glass sites in the U.S. They make contact with two heptopods they nickname Flapper and Raspberry. In an attempt to learn their language, Louise begins by associating objects and gestures with sounds that the aliens make, which reveals a language with free word order and many levels of center-embedded clauses. 
She finds their writing to be chains of semigrams on a two-dimensional surface with no linear sequence and semisizograph having no reference to speech. So she concludes that because their speech and writing are unrelated, the heptopods have two languages. So she calls them heptopod A, speech, heptopod B, writing. Attempts are also made to establish heptopod technology in terms of physics. Little progress is made until a presentation uh, for Matt's principle of least time is given. Gary explains this principle to Louise, giving her an example of the refraction of light. The light will always take the fastest possible route. Louise reasons that the ray of light has to know where it will ultimately end up before it can choose the direction it begins moving in. She knows the heptopods do not write a sentence one semigram at a time, but draw all the ideograms simultaneously, suggesting that they know what the entire sentence will be before they begin writing it. She realizes that instead of experiencing events sequentially, casually, heptopods experience all events at once. This is reflected in their language and explains why Fermat's principle came naturally to them. So not sequentially, but non-linear. Soon, Louise becomes quite proficient in heptopod B, the writing, and finds that while doing this writing, trains of her own thoughts are directionless. Premises and conclusions are interchangeable. She finds herself starting to think in heptopod B and begins to see time as the heptopods do. Louise sees glimpses of her future and of a daughter she does not yet have. This raises questions about the nature of free will. Knowledge of the future would imply no free will because knowing the future means it cannot be changed. But Louise asks herself, what if the experience of knowing the future changed a person? What if it evoked a sense of urgency, a sense of obligation to act precisely as she knew she would? One day, after an information exchange with the heptopods, the aliens announce that they are leaving. More specifically, the scientists of Earth offer the gift of a presentation of some cave paintings, and in return, the heptopods display images of equations and information, and then they say goodbye and disappear, leaving the glass translucent and empty. The information that they left, however, wasn't anything new to humanity. It's basically the same research that's being done right now in Japan. So the military shuts down all the looking glasses because the aliens have all disappeared and it's never established why they leave, why they'd come or what they had meant to do in the first place. Louise knows that she will have a daughter who will live and love and be amazing and then die tragically in a rock climbing accident, but she goes ahead and chooses to get pregnant with Gary. The story ends with them hand in hand, setting off to make a baby. Here's the movie recap. We start off with the voiceover and we see linguist Louise Banks' daughter Hannah as a baby and then growing very quickly and then dying young from some sort of illness. There is a beat and then we begin again. Twelve extraterrestrial spacecrafts hover over various locations around the Earth. Affected nations send military and science experts to monitor and study them. In the U.S., the U.S. Army Colonel Weber recruits Banks and physicist Ian to study the craft above Montana. On board the alien ship, Banks and Donnelly must get used to a flip sort of gravity, and then they make contact with two septopod-like seven-limbed aliens whom they call heptopods. Donnelly nicknames them Abbott and Costello. Determining that it will help and be easier, they shift from trying to communicate verbally and Banks and Ian research the complex written language of the aliens consisting of paleodrome phrases written with circular symbols and they share the results with the other nations. Louise explains it that they write a sentence all at once, non-linear writing and thus non-linear thinking. As Banks studies the language, she starts to have flashback-like visions of her daughter. Eventually, Banks can sort of read and sort of write the alien language, and she thinks that it's messing with her mind. 
When Banks is able to establish sufficient shared vocabulary to ask the aliens why they have come, they answer with a statement which could be translated as offer weapon. China interprets this as use weapon, prompting them to break off communications and other nations follow. Banks argues that the symbol interpreted as weapon could be more abstractly with references to the concept tool. China's translation likely results from interacting with the aliens using Mahjong, a highly competitive winner-take-all game. Rogue soldiers plant a bomb in the Montana craft. Unaware, Banks and Donnelly re-enter the alien vessel and the aliens give them a more complete message. Just before the bomb explodes, one of the aliens ejects Ian and Banks from the vessel, knocking them unconscious. When they wake, the military is preparing to evacuate in case of retaliation and the craft has moved beyond reach. Louise discovers that the symbol for time is present through the message and that the writing occupies only one-twelfth of 3D space into which it is projected. She suggests that the full message is split among the 12 craft and the aliens want all the nations to share what they've learned. China's General Shang issues an ultimatum to local alien craft demanding that it leave China within 24 hours. Russia, Pakistan, Sudan follow suit. Communications between the international research teams are terminated. Worldwide panic sets in. Banks goes alone to the Montana craft and it sends down a, tra a transport pod. Abbott has been mortally wounded as a result of the explosion, which Costello refers to as the death process. Costello explains that they have come to help humanity because in 3,000 years, they will need humanity's help. Louise realizes that the weapon in their language, which changes humans' linear perception of time, allowing to experience memories of future events, is the language itself. Banks' visions of her daughter, Hannah, are revealed actually to be premonitions. Her daughter will not be born until sometime in the future. Louise returns to the camp as is being evacuated and tells Ian that the alien language is the tool. It is the gift. Those who master the alien's language are able to perceive the future and the past. She has a premonition of a United Nations event celebrating newfound unity following the alien arrival in which Shang, you know, the guy from China, thanks her for having persuaded him to stop his attack by calling his private number and reciting his wife's dying words, which they don't translate in the movie, but I looked up and I'll tell you right now, says... War doesn't make winners, only widows. In the really? Present, that was accessible online? You found that? Yeah, baby. I wow. do my research. All right. <laughs> In the present, Louise steals a satellite phone and calls Shang's number to recite the words. The Chinese announce that they are standing down and release their 12th of the messages. The other count countries follow suit and the 12 crafts depart. During the evacuation, Ian expresses his feelings for Louise. Of course, she already knows that he will become her husband and the father of her daughter if she allows her future glimpses to play out. They talk about life choices and whether he would change them if he could, if he could see the future. He kind of says no, he wouldn't really change the moments, but he would live in those moments differently. Louise knows that she will agree to have a child with him despite knowing their fate. She knows that he will leave her and not understand her choice to have that child who she already knows will die from an incurable disease. The movie ends as it began, but in reverse. And our final moment is when Louise agrees to have a baby. Only then do we see the title card, Arrival, the end. So we've already covered how we came to it, basically. Yes, I remember seeing this movie and being very much blown away and then reading that it was based on a novella and immediately going out and reading the novella. And they're very much linked in my head. But you didn't know, am I correct? You didn't know that it was based on a... On a short story? I, I, I don't know if it was if I knew it was based on a book or a novella. Um, I definitely saw the movie way before any of that came into my head. This author is really good. I'm just going to take a minute to say that this this whole collection, because you can't really buy the book by itself. 
it's part of a collection of other stories and it's totally worth picking up the entire the entire book so yeah i haven't read any of the others yet but um not very many exclamation marks so well that's a that's a positive thing it's got that going for it <laughs> Whew, okay it's heavy heavy stuff man so of course we've got some pretty major themes, right? We have future and precognition and and choices that you make. And what I thought was really interesting, I have you read Slaughterhouse Five? I actually have not. Okay, it deals with time travel, and it's written by Kurt Vonnegut. And in the introduction of the 25th anniversary of edition of edition of Slaughterhouse Five, Kurt Vonnegut wrote this quote, which I think is very telling. Stephen Hawking found it tantalizing that we could not remember the future, but remembering the future is child's play for me now. I know what will become of my helpless trusting babies because they are grown-ups now. I know how my closest friends will end up because for many of, so many of them are retired or dead now. To Stephen Hawking and all others younger than myself, I say, be patient. Your future will come to you and lie down at your feet like a dog who knows and likes you no matter what you are. And author Ted Chang referenced that in a, in a I think it was an interview that I read um, and talked about how that kind of informed some of the ideas here about knowing the future. So Vonnegut is saying he, he understands if you get, if you live long enough, you'll see the future anyway. Is that, yeah. is that what you're saying? Basically, yeah. It's not very revelatory, is it? I mean, of course we'll see the future if we live long enough. Well, but see, well, I mean, we'll see somebody's future, but it's our present. We can't really see our future because once we get there, it's not the future anymore. Then it's the present, right? Okay, okay, yeah. So I don't know. Like a lot of this sounds really cool and kind of like profound if you're high, but (laughs) I feel like... (laughs) I've always been fascinated by time travel, always. I mean, I'll watch anything with time travel. This is an interesting take, and it, it goes along with what I hear so many scientists talk about when they say time all exists at once. Mm-hmm. So, the, you know, th- that theory is out there that the future, the past, the present all exists in the same time. Um, there is no such thing as time, really. It all exists. I've always tried to wrap my head around that, and I'm just not smart enough to do it and it aggravates the hell out of me because I'd love to be able to understand what they're talking about, but I, I, I can't. This movie put it in like kind of movie form, even though it doesn't really explain it either. But the idea that, you know, your future is happening now just as your present is happening, which is a theory in science, uh, I, I, I guess I don't have enough information in my head to wrap around it, how that makes sense. But this movie made it, fun to, to believe i okay so a few things one actually three things one is there a train going by you was that uh, there might have been i live right okay. by a train tracks so we'll not be able to take that out people just listening know that chris lives by he lives on the wrong side of the tracks now I you do. know okay. i do i always um, <laughs> okay so i don't know if it's as much that you're not smart enough to like understand it or if it's such a bizarre concept to the way that we experience things that I think it's almost impossible for us to understand things that are that far out of our realm of understanding. I don't know. And yeah. now I'm talking in circles. No, it's like and, when you're trying to understand the size of the universe, it's yeah. just too boggling. It is. It's too, it's too big. Your brain can't, can't put it all together. I will tell you, I mean, I made the, the joke earlier about being high, but dude, I was high <laughs> not that long ago, a couple months ago back. And it was a bad, it was a bad trip. And 
I literally thought that I could see the present and the past. And that like, I, I had no control, like everything. I was like, if I get up and walk into the room, Matthew will say this to me. So he's already said it. So what's the point? Why would I walk in there? Cause I know what he's going to say. You know what I mean? And I just got stuck in these infinite loops and it was fucking terrifying the gummies I gave you or was that something no else? <laughs> it was from it was from Leo these like resin gummies but oh my god oh. it was scary and like it was because I couldn't figure out how much time had passed I couldn't tell like how much time had passed and that was really really scary and I eventually what, what helped was I put on a cd that I've listened to a zillion times so I know it really well so that I could listen to a song and be like okay this is the third song, which means I've oh, obviously yeah, yeah. lived through 15 minutes, which means I'm continuing to move in through time like I'm supposed to. And that was, I mean, Plus, when was, you come down, it does none of that matters anymore because those feelings are gone. Right. I mean, all those feelings of panic and confusion are gone because you're yeah, not high anymore. Exactly. But this I, the, the experience was like, OK, this tells me I don't think I'd want to time travel. <laughs> I don't want to see the yeah, future yeah. and the past and everything at once because, you know, I, yeah, no, it just sounds really, really scary. And then you get into, I mean, we're, I guess we're going to just jump right into it, but in both the book and the movie, they talked about the, the reason why these creatures could do it. And then eventually why Louise could do it um, was because the way that we use language affects the way we think about the world, which is a really fascinating concept. I love that kind of stuff, that linguist yeah. stuff, right? You know, yeah. and if, if your culture has 50 words for snow, it's because snow is important to you. It's like the age old, you know, anecdote. Right. And so I, I love that concept. I just don't buy that you could really actually rewire your brain to, be, you know, in to to see outside of time based on right. your language but i thought it was a really good way to get us there in in kind of a way that sounds plausible kind of it's all vaguely wibbly wobbly yeah it does sound just plausible enough even though you still can't figure it out it sounds just plausible enough right and then like the thing with the with the refraction light okay and they're like okay so light will always go like the shortest distance or the most extreme distance. So it, right. you know, it, it kind of has to know where it's going to end up before it starts its journey. And they don't say this, but my brain went, wait, are they saying that particles of light are sentient? Because yeah, like, yeah. how else would you, would you do that? And so, and I, I went over to Matthew and I was like, I don't understand. Was, Light's not sentient. This doesn't make sense. And he said, what, what the story is missing is that there's all these other forces operating that we don't understand. Before we knew what gravity was, gravity still existed. And we'd be like, I don't know, man, I, I open my hand and the apple falls on the ground. You know, right. that might be magic. And no, it's right. gravity, right? So, so again, it was hinting at, at physics and things that we don't yet understand and comprehend, right? Exactly. Uh, I will say this, the, the novella, it, it's excellent. It's highly technical. Mm -hmm. There's I mean, a diagram. <laughs> yeah, there are di there are several diagrams, um, which blew me away when I turned the page. I'm like, oh, there are diagrams, <laughs> which Not you know was interesting in, in the story because it is so scientific. Now the story is kind of two parts, just like the movie is kind of two parts. You know, interspersed with all the science and technology that's in the story are her memories or her actual premonitions of her daughter. I think it's done really, really well in the book. I think it's done well in the movie too. But in the book, if, if you notice, the wording is not a memory. The wording is I is as a premonition. She's saying in, in the phrasing of the words when she talks about her daughter, I will see you go out on your first date. I will. And I didn't pick that up at first when I was reading the story. 
But then, you know, a few pages in, I'm like, oh, look how they do that. They don't do that in the movie. You're totally fooled in the movie until really, it's revealed really later on. Yeah, I, I thought that his choice of tenses were really good in the short right. story because there's things that are past, there's things that are very much in the present, and there's things that are future. And you're right, at first, you, you might not even pick that up, really, except that in the short story, we know that the daughter's going to die so much earlier, but we still don't know that, you know, that the whole alien thing happens before the daughter's death. Like, but right. it, it becomes pretty clear pretty fast. In the movie, you don't know till almost the end. No, I mean, they really pull it over on you because you see her die and then like the, the story starts. And so like you're like, and Amy Adams plays Luis before the aliens come as somebody who's, who's, I mean, I'm not going to say off or anything, but she's kind of sad. Like she obviously she lives alone. She's on the phone with her mom at one point. She, she's kind of socially awkward. You get the vibe because like she doesn't, you know, really get what's going on with her students. And she's definitely, dis you know, distanced from people. She doesn't have like a friend group or a lot. You know what I right. mean? Like anything like that. So you're like, oh, of course, because she's sad because she's because in mourning her because died. her daughter right. died where no, she was just kind of a lonely, you know, bookish person. But that completely changes the way that you watch the movie once you know that there is no tragedy when she, yet. When she has the revelation in the film that, you know, when she says to the aliens toward the end, she goes, who is this girl that I keep uh, having memories about? You see on her face, it just highlights the fact that she was this, you know, isolated personality that had nothing to do with her daughter beforehand. It really makes you understand all that. And then it turns into... A movie about her feelings about her daughter it's i i find it fast I, I love 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 this movie yeah it's it's incredibly well done and the adaptation is well done because obviously they had to make some changes right 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 but i feel like they kept the tone and they kept the important parts of the story but then they added a whole bunch of movie tension building things and they took out a lot of the science and for my money that's fine <laughs> like yeah that I was, was the a-okay with those changes. Yeah, there was too much science in the story, I thought. Even though it's fascinating, it was, it, it, at first I thought, okay, they're going to drop this after a while. And it just kept going and going and explaining the different words she had for the words that they were creating. And it was just like, it was, I, I mean, I, I was able to read it. I can't say I could follow all of it, but it was highly technical. And it stayed that way all the way to the end of the story. Whereas yeah. that's in the movie, which is typical for movies, it's it's displayed visually um, and it's much easier to comprehend because you don't have to think about what does that word mean. So I think they I think there's parts of the story that it, it, it handled better by explaining it. And there's parts of the movie that handled it better by not explaining it, if that yeah, makes any sense. For sure. For sure. So one of the big changes that I think really changes how we see Louise is in the story, in the book. We know early on that her daughter died at age 25 from a rock climbing accident. Okay. In the movie, the daughter dies young. She looks like she's not even like maybe a teenager, maybe like maybe, maybe 12 or so 12. Yeah. yeah. 12 is kind of my thing. Okay. Of an incurable disease. Okay. So they do call it, it cancer in the movie, don't they? Nope. She's it's some other name. It's some other thing. Oh, I thought she she's says in the movie, a rare form of cancer, a rare form. I, I Okay. You've seen it more often than I have, but I, whatever, it's an incurable disease is the right, thing. Right, okay. Right. So a disease versus an accident is the point. Right, right. And she, in both cases, she chose to have the daughter, right? Okay. And I feel like having a child 
knowing that they are going to die is, is, is a big thing, but knowing how they're going to die, the way that they die, I feel like should affect what the choice of having the kid, because, okay, first getting beside the whole point of a rock climbing accident could have been avoided, right? She could have been like, don't go right. rock climbing. And then exactly. that wouldn't happen. Whereas the incurable disease, you know, there's nothing to shoot. She's going to die of cancer. There's absolutely nothing. So there's a difference there, but also a rock climbing accident at 25, you've lived a quarter of a century. You've had, a, 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 you know, some life experiences and it's quick dying at 12 of cancer and being in pain. Cause she was obviously in pain is awful. And like, I just, it, it definitely changed how I felt about Louise thinking about the two different Louises and those two different choices. So you thought the choice in the movie was more, I mean, in the book was more logical because it was preventable. Uh, yeah. Whereas cancer, you can't do anything so or whatever like this disease made, was, you can't do anything about it. Right. I think she made two choices. One choice was to have a child that she has seen die. And the other choice is to let the death happen. And the first, you know, in the book, she made those two choices. First, she she had the child. Then on the day that she knows this kid's going to die, she sat at home and did nothing like and let See, it that's happen. The, that's one thing I wasn't sure of. Did she know the exact day or did she just know the, the method of death? I, I don't remember if in the story it pinpoints it, if she was, if the, if the premonition stuff is that precise that like you could say on Thursday, October 7th, mm-hmm. 2021, this is going to happen. Um, I don't know if that's the case. So maybe it was just that it was going to happen at some point because her daughter. But she has the she has the premonition of them driving and then her seeing her daughter in the morgue and like saying she's mine. So like there's got to be something. But if her daughter was 25 as opposed to 12, she's got total free will. She's not living at home. She could have just decided on this day to go rock climbing and the mother didn't know this was the day it was going to happen. So I, I want to ask you as a parent, because I'm not a parent, I can answer this question from through other relationships. What do you know what your choice would be? Let's and let's stick with the cancer thing, because the rock, I agree with the rock climbing thing, although it was interesting and fascinating to me in the book. I really like this part where she said, did my daughter get the urge to rock climb because I was always super hyper vigilant of her going upstairs. I thought that was fascinating because that speaks to how children develop into full-grown human beings because of their experiences in childhood, which, you know, we all know is, is absolutely true. So whatever you go through in childhood can lead you in one direction or the other. So ironically, this woman who knows her daughter is going to die in a rock climbing incident has now decided that she may have been the one that led her to that in the first place. Yeah. But so let's say, let's take the cancer because that's something okay. you can't really do or the disease we can't do anything about. Do you know how you must've thought of this when you were watching it or reading it? Uh-huh. Um, yeah. To, to, to create a life that will be short and will be painful. I, I mean, I feel like that's really selfish. And to not tell the father that this is what's going to happen. Right. And so then he's like an unwitting part of it. And then when she tells him, then he, you know, he leaves her. He's mad, obviously, Um, which, you know, it it makes it sound like that's bad. But I mean, I kind of get it right. That's it. That's awful. The poor guy. I feel like he, you know. But if I look at it like this is how I was looking at it, like because I don't have children, I was looking at it, let's say that when I met, before I met James, I knew that on our 25th, I should, I don't even want to say it out loud, but at some point 
something was going to happen and I was going to lose him. Or let's take my second husband who died of AIDS. If I knew when I met him that two years in, he was going to die of AIDS, would I have walked through that door? I, I think I probably would have. Okay, but there's a difference between you choosing a relationship with a person who's also choosing the relationship with you and you creating life out of whole cloth. Yeah, yeah, true, true. I mean, she literally was like, I'm going to have a child and get 12 years with this kid. And then the, and then the child is going to suffer. That's that's the big part here. I yeah, think the child would not suffer if you didn't choose to have the child, right? And and I don't know if somebody would say, "I'll take those twelve years where you can't remember the first five, Let's be honest, right? You know, right, so right. I get seven years of life, and maybe only the last two suck. I get five years of being a kid and going to elementary school, and then I die. Like I, I mean, mean it, I, it's a fascinating conversation for me because because of my second husband who. We were together two years. One year was all illness. One, we had one good year and then one year was all illness. I choose at this point, you know, like anybody does who loses somebody to remember the good year mm-hmm. and not the, the illness year. And it did change my life. And so I kind of see both sides of it. I, I totally yeah. agree that it's different with a child creating a life. But the question I think the, the movie poses specifically in the book to a degree is, do you exchange the happiness for the ultimate sadness when we all die in any way? But, um, you know, it's, a, you're right. It's extremely selfish because you're not, the child is the one that has to go through it. And it's, it's very selfish to the husband or the father that you're not saying, if we do this, this is what's going to happen. Right. I feel like he should have been in part of that conversation. And that makes me wonder why he wasn't. Was it because she was worried that he would make a different choice? Oh, so sure. Then it's, so then it's not free will. It's like she's now she's manipulating him into something where he would probably have made a different choice. And that's fucked up. And you know what I mean? So like it, it gets into layers. Which, sure. which is an interesting way to look at it, because in the book, as you said earlier, there's a there's a whole point in the book where she starts analyzing this. Well, if we know the future, why is it the future? Because certainly we would act differently knowing the future ahead of time. And then she has the argument that well, if the, the future might change you so that I'm trying to remember how it goes in because they don't do this in the movie, but yeah. in the book, they specific, she specifically argues with herself about, well, if we know the future, won't it change us? And so that puts us on the path to the future, which guarantees the future. I right. mean, it's an interesting conversation. It is. I think I, I take solace a little bit. If you want to get into like time travel paradoxy things, I prefer personally for my own headcanon and, and comfort level, the, the Greek idea that there's like, somebody's like, you're going to grow up and kill your dad. And then no matter what you do, that's the thing, even though you, you know what I mean? And like, you do, oh, I'm going to move across the country or I'm going to go over here, but then fates intervene. And like, you're, you still do your predestination thing. Like that works for in my head. I can kind of understand that. But if you're like, you know, I, I, does that make sense? This is different though. This is like way more cerebral and and book of life. She gets into this whole thing about the book of life and, you know, about right, whether or not right. it, yeah. So it's, I've it's always had a problem with time travel movies because there's always that grandfather paradox that comes up where, right. you know, if you go back and kill your grandfather, blah, blah, blah. But, um, some, I found some movies and stories that explain that, but of course you can't explain it because we can't time travel. So it's all conjecture, but, um, it's, it, I don't know why time travel fascinates me and so many millions of other people so much, but it does. Well, I think it's, I mean, and it's, it's not new. 
obviously, right? Like I just referenced the Greeks, right? There's always, there's always been this fascination with, you know, what predestination and what is predetermined and what isn't. Well, and, and, and in reality, science argues that you can't travel to the past, but you can travel to the future. And that's by, you know, if you ever saw the movie Interstellar, as you go where, faster than light, right? Yeah, until you, until you're going, the world slows down around you, and you're going ahead in time. So, like in Interstellar, when they go to this planet that's near the black hole, they lose, I don't know, twenty or they gain twenty-one years. They sorry, they lose twenty-one years, and the world <laughs> goes ahead twenty-one years. So that's based all based in science, which of course I don't completely get all that either with the gravitational pull well, and all that. It's like, I remember being in, in school at one point, maybe I'm misremembering, it could happen, but somebody was like, I remember a teacher saying, you know, light travels. And if you could get ahead of a, a fraction of light and turn around and look at it, then you could see it coming. So let's say Julius Caesar standing, you know, somewhere important and he raises his sword and he goes like this with it. And the sunlight glints off the top of that sword, that glint of sunlight is now bounced up into the ether. And if you could get further away from it, it's still just traveling out there. And if you could get ahead of it and turn around, then you could see into the past. And it was like, oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. like this whole big, I have no idea if that's accurate. <laughs> <I> just, <laughs> in good. my head, I'm like, oh, interesting. It works. Let's take okay. it. Sure, sure, sure. That's my understanding of physics right there. Um, <laughs> but yes, the idea though, of these sentences that are created completely, you know, all uh, together, and that these aliens live in the present and the future. Another big change that they did in the changing of the adaptation is that we know in the movie, the aliens are here because in 3000 years, we will need your help. So we're here to give you our language now. So now we're into like those paradoxy things. If, if I travel back in time to give you information, then won't, when I get back to my present, won't the future be changed because now you know, I've changed the past kind of. Well, is that what you think they were saying? Because that's not how I interpreted it. So in the movie, yeah. So in the movie, they said, yes, we're we're helping you now because we'll need your help 3000 years in the future. I didn't get from that, that they've traveled back in time because they can see the future. So if they can always see the future, my take on it was, well, we know what's going to happen in 3000 years. And we came here at, at the same time that we were wherever we were. And now we're going to teach you this so that when that time comes in 3000 years, you'll have the capability. That's how I interpret it. No, that makes a lot of sense. And that works really well with, with the, the crisis that the movie set up where, you know, the military and blah, blah, blah. And we have this tension of, can she steal a sat phone and in time to go call the guy and give him the information that she's flipping back and forth in the future and the present to get the information in the future to use in the present to create the future that she's seeing. Oh my God. Right. And so it makes sense that the aliens are just like, Oh, here we are. We know you're going to need this in 3000 years, but I, I don't know. Like there's a little part of me that was like, okay, but then where did they come from? Why now? I I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I never actually thought they were coming from the future, but I mean, it just never crossed my mind because we just know throughout the movie or at least by the middle of the movie that they can see the future. Yeah. So that's how I took it. I think you're right. But because she's moving back and forth in time by the power of her brain, I kind of felt like maybe the aliens were also moving back and forth in time by the power of their something. I don't know. But But not uh, physically moving back and forth in time. Just in their their heads. Exactly. Just in their heads. Which I I, did think was a huge 
well, of course, I can't say it's a huge failure in the story because the story was written before the movie, but that the movie does so much better is the movie comes to a conclusion. It comes to an end. The yeah. book, the story doesn't. It just kind of drops. It just ends. They, they, the aliens go away. They never mention that we're going to need your help. They never mention why they were here. It's yeah. totally unresolved, which always pisses me the hell off when something is unresolved. I want an end to a story and there was no end to this story. I feel like they do that a lot in short stories and novellas. That's like a thing, you know, to, to do, to not, you know, to leave you wanting more, to leave things, questions unanswered. Um, they don't do it as many times in novels and they don't do it nearly as often in movies. And I, I appreciate yeah, that. Cause there's I, not going to be a sequel to the short story. So why are you leaving no. me hanging? You son of a bitch. I'm pissed. <laughs> Seriously. No, I, and I liked how they ended it in the movie a lot. I did. Yeah. I, and, yeah. And I don't think it detracts from the story that the story that the book was trying to tell by giving us an ending, you know, at all. I don't feel like it was like unfaithful or anything. I feel like it just was like, oh, if he thought of this or had decided to write, if this, if the point of his story had been that, he would have been okay with it. Does that make sense? Yeah, you know, a lot of times when it's a book or a short story or whatever that turns into a movie, most of the time I would say I prefer the book or the short story just because it's usually richer. And of course, when you read, you can add your own stuff. This is a case where I thought he took this very technical story, which I don't know if the movie hadn't been made, if I would ever have read a story like this, even though mm-hmm. half of it I really loved and half of it I was scratching my head some of the time. Um, they, they took this story that had the basis and what the movie they made out of it was just unbelievable i thought the way they they used the story but enhanced and and changed and you know it's not the same kind of vehicles that the aliens come in they did that completely differently um i had and i know it's because i saw the movie first i had a hard time envisioning these what did they call it lens what are the what, looking glasses mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which i thought was odd um if okay, I read because the- because the things that they have in the movie are freaking cool Right. Yeah, they are yeah, scary yeah. and they're big. And I love the whole thing about they go up inside it and then gravity changes gravity shifts, and they have yeah. to like it all turns sideways. I thought that was and I also really liked that Ian was the one who got sick and was also the one who was like, holy fuck, because that's yeah, what I would yeah, say. Yeah. Like yeah. he was very much human in, in a lot of ways. She was a little bit of a Mary Sue. It's fine. Whatever. Um, but yeah, it, it was really, really cool. The the whole look of it. And I think the film did a really good job of making us wait. Because when right. when it starts, it's like there's these things they've landed, blah blah blah, and like there's news footage, but we don't see it. We see people's reaction to it. It's kind of like over here in the corner. It's like the reflection on a table. You know, we see her looking at the screen, but like from the point of view of the screen, all and of we that see stuff. her anticipating. I want to. I need to be there. I need to talk to the aliens, and them saying no, you can't do it. And so she's asking, "Is that the aliens?" She's just as confused about the aliens as we are. We don't know. We can't see the aliens. We can't see the ships we can just see the reactions i love that part of it yeah i really liked that they made us wait and then when they showed us it was worth the wait which was really cool because it's not always like that but um and and that was good it was like this delayed gratification and i think it really set the tone of this was slow and patient and like building but very it was very cerebral you know it was very 
it was a quiet movie in a lot of ways. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it it's was quiet and it's slow and it's dark, um, which I love, love, love all those things. Um, the aliens were different too uh, than they were in the in the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, not completely, but like in the story, they talk about the eyes all around the aliens and the mouth and yeah. And there's the aliens in the movie are there none of that. There's no eyes. There's no mouth that we can see anyway. There's just legs and a, and a body. Well, and I love that he named them Abbott and Costello. Yeah, those names. What did you think of the names in the story? Those were the dumbest names. Flapper thought, and Raspberry. I'm like, <laughs> you're writing this highly technical story and these are the names. I mean, didn't even explain why those names were picked. It took me right out of the story when I read that. Yeah, yeah. I was not a fan. And I was like, who... <laughs> I mean, and you don't get the vibe that she was like, like a, like a funny, goofy person. Yeah, so that's something make... a 10 year old would name them. I mean, exactly. I, I, I don't even know. I have no words for that. It was dumb. And I love because not only is Abbott and Costello like just better, but it's better because we know what it's referencing. It's referencing, you know, the who's on first, the whole comedy thing about not being able to communicate, but but having the right words. And of course, so it's funny. And it's funny that Ian's the one who comes up with that, the scientist, not the linguist, right? You know? Okay, so did you know about this uh, kangaroo thing? I didn't. I I appreciated that it was the same in the book, in the story that it was in the movie because I thought they made it up. And I still don't know if it's made up or if it's true. Did you research it? I did. It says that it is made up. Oh, it's made up. Okay. It's Ganaroo, large black kangaroo. That's what it means. In 1898, W.E. Roth wrote a letter pointing out that the Ganguru did mean kangaroo. So is, it's not true? It was used by Captain Cook and the botanist Joseph Banks, supposedly an Aboriginal word for in Northwest Queensland, Australia, often said to be unknown now in any native language. However, according to Australian linguists who wrote the languages of Australia, the word probably is from this other place and it, it means kangaroo. It's ganaroo. So the whole thing about it meaning I don't know is the myth. It's a myth that it meant I don't know. Oh, okay. Yes. Well, and she says in the movie, no, I lied. Um, yeah, which she doesn't say in the book. But I mean, it's it's a perfect story to, in the movie anyway, when she says this to Forrest Whitaker to explain her position, it's perfect because, you know, she's saying you may not understand it unless... The, the point is that we have to have a context to understand language, otherwise right, it right, doesn't right. work, right? Yeah, that's that's the point. And I thought that it was funny that in the movie, we also had another little thing of showing us how linguistically awesome she is when she, you know, the Sanskrit word for war uh, oh, right. means you know i want more goats which i mean it, it, it's true the language is is that diverse and you know yeah. what was interesting in the story was how they their language for quantum physics and other things and certain things within that realm was different certain things were important to them so they didn't pay any attention to it and didn't have words necessarily surrounding it but we and we have other things that are important to us i thought that was interesting Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that kind of linguistic stuff. I think it's really fascinating. And I mean, it, it just, it's like you talked before about, you know, nature and nurture and raising children, et cetera. Like, you know, only what you've been exposed to, that's what you know. And so right. if you're exposed to something you've never heard of before, whether it's a word or an old timey telephone or, you know, whatever it is, if you've never seen this thing when you were growing up or heard this word or phrase, then you just don't know it. And that's, 
that you know that can change how you view the rest of the world. And how we all know from uh, science is that if you like, if you learn a foreign language, it does rewire your brain in a way. So if you tie that into this, which is learning their language to rewire your brain to be able to to see the future, right? You can kind of follow that trajectory in a way. I know it's completely different, but right. It's it's weird to me that it was just her, in in both. Um, yeah, yeah, that's true. And in, in the movie, I, I was looking for it because I had already read the story and already seen the movie and I was waiting for it. And she goes up there, she takes off her hazmat suit and that's when she actually has her first flash forward, which we think is a flashback, is right. after the point in the movie where she's taken off her hazmat suit. And so then I was like, okay, are they trying to say that it was like something in the air, like contact or something? They were giving her this ability as because she wasn't learning their language yet at that point at all right, like true. at all so it almost undermined it a little bit but then in the in the book it's it felt very much more tied into learning the language and then thinking in it and she has like this 25 year period where she was able to do it and it felt like that was it there wasn't more after that she wasn't really well but was that the first time she had her flash forward slash memory thing or because the movie starts with her and the child yes so was it she does. dreaming about this before the aliens ever showed up see i feel like the first part of the movie was like a prologue and not actually like the not story linear in the movie right and then also because the first couple scenes in the movie are the same as the last scenes in the movie they're just played in reverse True. so it's like they they i feel like that was like a stylistic framing device of the movie to be all cool and Hannah well, plus the tool to make us think this was her past right exactly but I think like for for her she I mean obviously she didn't start living in the present past future whatever until after she learned the language and encountered the aliens and all of that yeah, stuff true, so true. so but I, I mean it was just weird like how quickly it happened and then and then it was just her and she wasn't the only linguist in the world who was studying their language and she wasn't even the only person like you know ian in the book it's gary but in the movie it's ian he's there with her the whole time right not to mention the other scientists around the world that are yeah right so in the in the movie it seemed like the language was going to be shared and other people were going to learn it and that was what was going to bring the world together for world peace and blah 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 sure 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 but in the book, it definitely didn't feel like that. In the book, it felt like it was a gift they gave her. She had it for a certain amount of time. And then after her daughter died, she kind of didn't have it anymore. It's yeah. And you know, another thing in the movie was when is a general Shang that is mm -hmm. in the movie. OK, so he comes to her at the very end of the movie and gives her this. What did you say it was in, it was uh, translated to? Um, wars don't make winners, only widows. I never knew that. that I could even look that up. Um, so it's interesting that he when he came and told her that at the gala event where she's, you know, this is after the aliens are gone. Sometime has gone by. She's written a book, blah, 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 blah. Does that mean he now has this ability that he knew to come to her and give her this information? See, he I, sure seemed tuned in. That's what I thought. And that also then implies that they are in the, both the past and the present, right? Because he like right. knows that he needs to do this in his present so that in his past, this thing will happen because in how does his, he know that? Did he, was he, he reading the, cause her book was deciphering the language. So maybe right. he read the language and maybe he picked up this, this ability. 
but after the, I mean, he obviously didn't have the ability when he was ordering the people to fire and like that, that moment of tension, she had to talk him down. If he'd had the ability, that wouldn't have been the thing. They didn't all get the ability until all of them were sharing. You know, that was the whole point. And I loved that. I love that the world was saved by sharing. (laughs) That made me very happy. Wasn't that great? Yeah. (laughs) I was like, oh, it's a little Star Trek, you know, like Uh we all come together and it's very idealistic. Yes. I I don't know. I mean, I had my moments when I first saw the movie and that happened. I'm like, oh, come on. It happened kind of fast. You know, she she makes the phone call and then suddenly all the video screen, all the, all the news is going there. They've dropped it. They've dropped it. They've I'm like, okay, come on. We know how this world works. Right. I don't know why, you know, I've never understood this about, you know, because, you know, I love sci-fi. So I've seen a million alien sci-fi movies. But why do we have to be so violent with the aliens? I mean, why do we always want to shoot and kill everything that comes comes along? I mean, but it's true. That's how we are. Oh, yeah. It it was the Americans. Right. You notice that that was the Americans, the ones who are going to plant the bomb. Like no other country decided to do that. Exactly. (laughs) Yes, of course. Of course. America with our guns. I mean, and yeah. typically in movies, aliens are bad guys, not good guys. These guys yeah. were good guys. So they they tweak that. I like that because I hate it that the aliens are going to spend all their time traveling these incredible distances that nobody has ever been able to travel just to yell at us and, and shoot us. And I'm like, you're just Americans from another planet is what you are. You know? <laughs> Ooh, how profound. <laughs> it's symbolic. <laughs> I just uh, thought of that. That's very good. Yeah, no, for real, though. I, I, That'll be the title of my book. You're just Americans from another planet. <laughs> no, I, I thought that the idea of the of the military guys doing, okay, of, we had to have some kind of violence. We had to have some kind of thing, the exciting incident, whatever. All of that's added in. But they laid the groundwork for it really well because they had them kind of listening to talk radio. The right. moral of this story here is talk radio is bad. It's bad, exactly. <laughs> and it's interesting because this movie, how, when did this come out? Is 2016? Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't see it till well after that. I think I started watching it in 2018 or something when, when all this political BS was happening. And people were listening to Fox News and getting so with that part of the movie, I'm like, this is exactly what's happening in the real world right now. Yeah, very, very real to life in yeah. a lot of ways. Yeah, that's I mean, it basically it's what is your answer when you're afraid? What do you do? Do you you react with violence or, or oh, shit else? Up. yeah, exactly. World is saved by sharing. So cool. I have a little bit of trivia. The author here, Chang, spent five years researching and familiarizing himself in the field of linguistics and physics before attempting to write the story, story of your Are life. you serious? He didn't know this stuff as a, I, I meant that after I read the story, I meant to, to research that because I'm like, he must be well, he has to be, I'm assuming this stuff after is true. Five years, after yeah. five years, after five years, sure. I, that's, that is, okay. That is some dedication. That, that is five years for a, 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 a 90 page story for a I fictional mean, story. Just make it up. <laughs> it went on to win a bunch of prizes and awards and get adapted. So, I mean, obviously he knows what he's doing, but yeah, yeah that's, that's dedicated. I just made it up. Um, originally, they were going to title the film film story of your life, but test audiences were not crazy about that. <laughs> they really didn't like it. So they changed it to Arrival. Yeah, I mean, for a movie, Story of Your Life sounds like a Lifetime movie of the week instead of Arrival, which is, you know, yeah, clear, clear what it is. Clear. Although I feel like 
arrival definitely makes it feel like it is more, I was going to say more sci-fi. That's not quite right, but it's more about the aliens. Do you know what I mean? And this wasn't really about the aliens, really. Well, half of it was. I mean, I that's mean, what's so fascinating about this movie and this book. Half of it is is alien sci-fi and half of it is very human, emotional uh, uh, storyline. Uh, the story of her and her daughter is heart-wrenching and the, the aliens are, it's not your typical shoot em up alien thing, thank God. It's very dark and slow and, and methodical. Well, that's what I mean. I feel like it. the aliens are like this plot device and this part of it but the story you know the lessons here are about focusing on the present and not taking advantage you know what i mean not taking for yeah, granted but you can look at the term arrival as she's arriving at you know the revelation oh yeah of her own life so you know hey, you can use words to be interpreted that way so maybe that you know i think it's fascinating that as we're doing this podcast because you know when you watch uh, stuff on tv and you see crew members walk behind the set it's mm-hmm. always like hey there's a crew member You've had a crew member and uh, walk by twice now, so I'm just saying. Oh, have I? <laughs> is it yeah. the cat or a child? You can't see, but I can. Uh, is it a and child? The, or the a cat, cat has no. It's it's. See, he just walked by again. He's doing it on purpose. And then the cat has walked by several times too. Oh my god! I know that on Thursday nights I watch Crazy Ex-Girlfriend with a group of friends, and the cat comes in, and they all watch, and then the cat jumps at me, and they all laugh when I scream. <laughs> Um, okay, so there's really no Star Trek trivia this time around because, Aww. yeah, I mean, we've got we've got nerd cred in other ways, and Amy Adams is awesome, and Jeremy Renner and, and stuff, but uh, yeah, not really any Star Trek stuff, but that's okay because it's Star. It this is this is the most Star Trek uh, that's not Star Trek, right? Like I feel really? like there's a lot of Star Trek in this, even though it's definitely not Star Trek. Yeah, that's true. So um, I love the the idealism of it all. So, Chris, was this book worth your time? Was this movie worth your time? They were both worth my time. I, I cannot recommend the movie enough. Whether you're into sci-fi or whether you're into emotional drama, it fills both pages there. Um, I Like I told Kalia, and I hate to admit this, I've seen this movie like 15 times. I cannot get enough of this movie. She's laughing because she finds that humorous, but she's probably read books many times. Um, no, you don't? Reread books? I nope. thought you did. Nope. Okay. Life is um, short, man. <laughs> yeah. I'm, well, I'm a movie freak. I love movies and I fall asleep to movies a lot. So this is one of the ones I use sometimes to fall asleep to because it's, it's slow and it's not <laughs> jarring. And um, I, I think Amy Adams' performance is just unbelievable. Yeah. So I, I, I highly, highly, highly recommend the movie. But the, the story is good too. And it's short, which I appreciate a short story. It was only like, 50 pages, but it is highly technical. So um, if you see the movie first, be prepared for that. It's a completely different mindset. Are you interested in reading other of his short stories? If I told Um, you they're not all as technical at all. Yeah. So I I have the book with all the short stories. I started to read one, but it was, I was having issues with my eyes that day. So I haven't gone on. And I think it was the Tower of Babylon, which immediately the religious connotation turns me off, which I don't even know if that's what the story is referencing but um i I will say the fact that the story of my story of your life was so technical gives me pause i don't know if there are graphs in the other stories (laughs) 
what so are the other stories in the book as as scientific as this or is this just one science sciencey story in the in the book it's been a long time and i know i didn't read all of them i i kind of floated around and read a few of the other ones i remember enjoying the ones that i read and for me yes this story is totally worth your time because it doesn't take that long because it's not that long right it is a master class in tense and you know verbiage in terms of that and diction uh I loved the way he wrote this story. I just, it is, it is very well written and I really appreciate that. The writing is pretty tight. It is very technical. I liked that. I was able to follow it for, to the point where I was like, I think that this is at the point where you're not supposed to follow it too much more. I think you get to a point where you're supposed to kind of glaze over and be like, okay, these people know what they're talking about and I don't. And that's okay. And I'm okay with that. I'm reading another book right now where I'm not okay with that because it's very clearly meant to be completely understood and I'm not following it. And that's frustrating. But this didn't frustrate me with what I didn't quite understand of it. This got right to the edge with me, right to the edge, because I thought in the beginning, okay, this is all technical, but it's going to pass. And it didn't pass and it didn't pass and it didn't pass. So I was right on the edge of, okay, I can't take one more word I don't understand. Um, but then it's, it ended and it was, it was okay. Uh, it ended very poorly. I thought, I think if I had not seen the movie, I would have liked the story more. And your crew member just walked by again. It's all I'm saying Just he's doing this on purpose. I know he is. So uh, <laughs> I think if I hadn't seen the movie first, the, the, the story would have been, I would have liked the story better. Not that I didn't like the story. I did, but the movie kind of, that's the problem with seeing a movie before you read a story. It kind of takes you out of it. Right. And I'll I'll say that I appreciate the ending of the story as a short story ending. It worked for that genre, that that form of storytelling. But I do prefer some of the changes they made in the movie. One thing that they did in the story, I thought better than in the movie was I felt like uh, Hannah, the daughter, even though she wasn't named in the story, I actually felt like I knew her more. She felt more real to me because there were more moments of her life which made more sense because this was the story of your life and I felt like the movie thankfully it wasn't called story of your life it was called arrival it was about things beginning like the you know things showing up I get that but like and the arrival of Hannah I definitely feel like the title made more sense in the story because it was about Hannah's life it was her conception to her conception it was her conception to her death there was this back play of the stuff that was going on in her parents' life that led up to her being born or conceived, I would say. And then, you know, her, her brief life, but really Hannah's life was about the moments that she had with her mom. And I thought that they were, they were more fleshed out. It definitely made me cry. Both of them did. And, and as for the movie, yes, like you, I love this movie. I started crying before the three minute mark and then cried a whole bunch more towards the end. And I think the acting is superb. The special effects are amazing. I love it when sci-fi stuff looks like plausible sci-fi, hazmat suits, the the gravity thing looked real, even though, you know, I really liked the look of the aliens, the way they're describing the short story sounds very cartoony to me, lots of eyes and whatever, but they were very like, they look like big old creepy octopus tree things i loved the visuals in the movie of the way that they kind of like did this inky writing no idea how anybody would ever be able to read that it was very cool looking 
I, I really liked the look and the feel and the tone of this. Movie yeah, it didn't look like special effects. It looked real. It was, yeah. it was fascinating. Very much worth your time. Very much worth your time. Both of them, for sure. For sure, for sure. So. And while you say we got to know the girl better in the book, which I think is true, I think the power of the movie is that they took that a woman who's dying at the end of the story, 25-year-old woman, and turned it into a 12-year-old with a disease, which is so much more tragic and yes. so much more heartbreaking. Yes, definitely, definitely. The, the, the book didn't make me cry. Right. When, when in passing, she says, you'll die at age 25 from a rock climbing accident, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then we just move on to something else. It doesn't have the same emotional weight. And I think right. obviously movies can do that better than books because we are humans and we're very visual people and seeing somebody, you know, in pain, it will, will activate us in a different way because writers have different ways of saying that somebody's in pain or something sad is happening. And so a writing style can affect your moment and your connection with that action. But visually, a, a, a bald person in a bed and a mother leaning over them and then the mother walking down a hall. I mean, like, we all know, like the shorthand is there and we all cry. Yeah, like, especially a young, a young child who you know cannot understand the depths of what's going on. Yeah, yeah. So for sure, for sure. Yeah. The movie is much more emotional. The book is much more technical. And I do actually have a quote from uh, Ted about the adaptation. He liked it. He liked the adaptation a lot, actually. Uh, He said that it it was actually a very good adaptation. It it seemed like it was going with what he'd wanted to do. And it was up for best picture. I did not like that. I know it should have won. I don't know what it was up against that year, actually. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Chris. This was super fun. I'm glad you were able to, I'm glad you were able to change. I'm glad I'm not gay today. This is so nice. (laughs) What are you, are you more than just one aspect of you, who you are? Imagine that. Imagine that. I don't know about that, man. I I have three, only three, only three personalities. Okay. Hold on. Sci-fi nerd, gay man, and bitch. And <laughs> oh, oh, that's our Venn diagram. Oh. There you go, right there. That's our graph in the book. <laughs> that's our graph. How does bitch get to get to sci-fi? That's through hilarious. the gay guy. Through the gay guy. Okay. Well, this was really fun. So, people, uh, because I lack the ability to live in the present, the past, and the future, I'd love to hear from you what you thought of this. So please send us an email at pagesandpopcornpodcast at gmail.com. Tell your friends, listen to the show, listen to the next episode, listen to past episodes. At some point, I'll probably be taking a hiatus, but not for a little while, I think. And um, Chris, I'm going to have to have you come back at some point and talk about other other sci-fi things. We'll have to Just find not better- Total Recall, please. <laughs> definitely not total recall um not total recall and not dune i know people have actually written in and asked if we're going to be covering dune and i'm like no and why aren't you covering <laughs> dune oh uh, that's the fact that the book is 1200 pages or whatever i mean that is partly why <laughs> it's it's such an undertaking i think the recap of my because I, I try to keep the recap, like only have like, you know, seven to 10 minutes of the podcast, yeah. be the recap, but holy crap. I don't know how you'd recap. It just, it feels like it would have to be a series. And I, I, I'm just not up for that. And then if you're going to do a series, you might as well do the mini series. Yeah, know, no, I, I'm with you. That's too, too much. Uh, it's too much. So I'll, come, I'll, I'll, watch, I'll, I'll think of something. 
watch Dune, listeners, and tell me what you think of it for sure. And a whole bunch of Roald Dahl books just got optioned by Netflix. I saw the headline earlier today. Um, so that might be kind of fun to do some some Roald Dahl stuff down the road because there's, I mean, you know, that's pretty cool. Some of them in the past have been really awful, but some of them have been good. So we'll see what happens in the hands of Netflix. And um, yeah, anyways, we'll find another book, Chris. This was really fun. Thank you so much for giving me part of your evening. Thanks. All right. Thank you.